0: I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad.
1: Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 389 for July 16th, 2012. I am briefly back in New York City on my way to State College, PA, getting ready to take a month off from the Jazz or Bust tour and then head back out on the road. I've still got the Midwest, the Northwest, the West Coast, the Southwest, Texas, and uh, hopefully some places in Canada, too, to cover. And I'm very excited to get that going, probably toward the end of August or beginning of September, I think is when part two of the tour will start. Meanwhile, I've got all of the shows that I recorded when I was out on the tour, which will take me through the 400th episode of the Jazz Session and through most of August. So you've got a lot left to hear from just the first part of the tour. I put up a post over at JasonCrane.org recently that includes in the title jazz or bust tour by the numbers and if you look there you can find out some of the details about the tour so far i've traveled more than 5,000 miles so far in the tour all all via greyhound bus and it actually hasn't been that bad i took a couple really long trips which were a bit trying uh, particularly heading back from new orleans to new york Um, i did stop overnight in auburn alabama but then i went from auburn all the way to new york city and uh, that was pretty long But other than that, it's been fairly nice traveling and uh, stayed with a lot of great people and done a lot of great interviews and seen a lot of really fun music. Today's guest is the last of the interviews that I recorded in New York City back in uh, probably May before I left on the Jazz or Bust tour. This is an interview with Jerome Sabah, a saxophone player who's been on the show before. He's got a new album called Plugged In. We'll hear some music from that and then my interview with Jerome. First, though, let me thank the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at RespectSextet.com. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the show's logo. Thanks to Rob Grundle for the Jazzer Bust logo. Don't forget you can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. You can also join the mailing list at the jazz And you can support both the show and the tour. Go to the jazz slash join to become a recurring member of the show. And go to the jazz slash tour to make a one time donation to the Jazz or Bust Tour and get the thank you gifts that go with it. And now music from saxophonist Jerome Sabah. guest is the saxophonist Jerome Sabah, back for the second time. Welcome back. Great to have you. Thanks, Jason. It's great to be here. The new record is called Plugged In, which is a title that I really dig because it can mean a million different things. Uh, and I'm interested if you could talk a little bit about that and what it means in the context of this record.
2: Yeah, I guess there was the obvious meaning of like, this is an electric record. Uh, for the first time in my recording, it's got electric bass. Uh, Patrice Blanchard is playing bass. And uh, Joseph Dumoulin is playing keyboards, so it's very much like a electric-slash-electronic music project, even though I think it also has, like, an acoustic vibe to it. So there was that meaning. And there was also the meaning of, like, you know, we're trying to be plugged into each other, and we're trying to react to each other, and that's, like, a value in music that's really fundamental to me. So it was sort of like a play on words with, like, both those things going on. I dig this record because
1: the last time you were on, um, we were talking about a trio session that you did, an acoustic trio session. And this record is in some ways very different, but I think it maintains that same kind of character of your playing and the fact that the thing I liked so much about that Trio record was just how totally connected everybody was to each other. And that seems to be the same even with a different band on this record. Can you talk a little bit about this band and how you put it together?
2: Sure. Well, uh, first I'm glad you said that because that's one thing that I really try to go for in my music in general and like in everything that I do in every band that I play and that's a quality that I actively uh, seek out and that's something that's really important to me. Um, That's maybe the thing that's the most important to me Uh, also I try to put myself in different contexts and I I'm into a lot of different things but at the same time I want to play the way I play like I'm not necessarily going to change my playing Uh, I'd like to think that I'm able to play the way that I play in a recognizable way a recognizable way Uh, in different contexts. And so that's what I try to do here. Now, this particular project came about because I heard a record by the keyboardist uh, Joseph Dumoulin, who is from Belgium but lives in France. And uh, as it turns out, we're on the same label over there. And so I heard his record that he did a couple of years ago, uh, which is called Trees Are Always Right. Uh, And I liked it a lot uh, to the point that I was like, wow, I'd really like to work with this guy. So I got in touch with him. Uh, and he was open to the idea and then we decided to do it Uh, so I put the band together I hired Patrice Blanchard on bass and Rudy Royston on drums and who are both musicians who I really like and wanted to work with but had never actually worked with before Um, and then we did it uh, in New York Joseph wrote half the music I wrote the other half and we were sort of like doing that each in our corner not really consulting so much on that. And then we rehearsed here in New York for a few days, did some gigs, and recorded. And I hope to keep this band alive and do as much as possible, both in the States and in Europe. I'm working on a tour uh, in December in Europe. What was it about Joseph's
1: album that struck you? What was it that made you want to work with him?
2: Well, there was like a certain organic quality to what he was doing that I find somewhat rare in electric contexts. And that I thought was really appealing. It was just like hearing somebody's voice, pretty much. Um, there was like a variety of sound, but also there was like a really strong conception of sound and of harmony that I thought was really together in like a really striking, original, unique way. Um, you know, that made me really want to work with him. I mean, I hear that in, in some electric players, like you know, Joe Zawinul comes to mind, and uh, Alan Holdsworth comes to mind. Uh, but it's basically a ele- a voice through electric means, but with a very exploratory and acoustic spirit and, and vibe. So I guess that's something that really connected to me on a musical level, and then I, and then I was like, wow, I just really like to play with this guy.
1: that push you in a new direction in terms of composition, knowing that you know this was the context you
2: were writing for? Yes, uh, I would say so. Uh, especially I guess having the electric bass also, that's different. It's a more, it's a more like maybe slightly groove-oriented album, or it's like a different kind of groove with electric bass. Um, so that was one thing. And we decided, Joseph and I decided on, on electric bass early on in the project. So both the fact that it was electric bass and that it was him it it made me think of different things i think yeah i I always try to write for specific people or i like writing for specific people like when i did the trio record with ben Monder and daniel umair i wrote some pretty specific music for that music that i thought would suit them and would suit myself and would work for the three of us and so i did the same thing with this record will you talk about the other two
1: members of the band and how you came to choose them in particular
2: yeah, Patrice uh, lives in New York. He's from uh, Martinique um, in the French West Indies. Uh, he's lived here for a long time. He lived in London before. He's done a lot of like uh, African music scene and pop gigs and different things. Uh, he's a great bass player. He has a beautiful groove and a beautiful sound. And those were the main qualities that I was looking for. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking for like a super virtuosic bass player that can solo all over the map, although, you know, he can too but, you know, when I think of Patrice, I think more of like a certain like backbone to the music, a certain bounce a certain sound, a certain ease, a certain rhythmic flow and just having having something really grounded and that feels really good and that's what I wanted in in this music. That's kind of what I want in all music, really, but especially for this record, I thought it was particularly important that we get a bass player that would really have that down. So, uh, I had heard him before, in many things, just because we have friends in common, so I would run into him at parties, and I would see him play, it was kind of random bands and then i was always uh, i was always really into his playing so in the back of my mind always had uh the idea that one day i'd like to work with him but i just didn't know what the right context was going to be since up to now i've always used acoustic bass in in all my projects uh as for rudy i heard him in jd allen's trio i heard them live a few times at the vanguard uh and I really like that band and I, I really like the way he plays in that band. And then I also heard him uh on a Steve Cardinus record called West of Middle, uh, which is a little more uh has like more backbeat stuff to it. It's like open music, but it's it's also got like some really nice grooves and I just really like the way he played on that album and the way uh, that it sort of like brought out the best in everybody, and the way that it, uh, you know, the way that it felt mainly. Same thing was Patrice, you know, the it was mainly like the the feel, and also in, in Rudy's case, like the versatility of what he can do. I thought that we'd have like pretty different music between what Joseph was gonna write, and I didn't know what he was gonna write, but I had an idea of the direction that he might be going uh, in. And as for myself, I I knew I was gonna have some tunes that were going to be more backbeat oriented and also some swinging tunes and and different things so i wanted a drummer who would feel equally comfortable dealing with all those things and who would feel good to play with so that's uh that's why i picked him and like in both cases you know they they were really the people that i wanted and I'm i'm glad that they were able to commit to this it's interesting that you, you know, you have an album here
1: where it was composed half by you and half by someone else, not really working, you know, together, not in a, a collaborative sense. Here's five bars and I'll send you back eight bars or whatever. And yet it hangs together as an album. How did you guys achieve that? How did you talk about how the album would sound or what the concept of the album was so that it wasn't, it doesn't sound like, you know, four tracks of somebody and four tracks of somebody else?
2: You know, honestly, actually, we didn't. Um... <laughs> we kind of went for it like i wrote music that i thought would fit he wrote music that he thought would fit we decided on the instrumentation we decided on on electric bass and then you know we basically defined it in very loose general terms such as you know let's keep it like open but like with some stuff that would like you know that we'll play on i mean he had heard my music i had heard his I figured he would know what to do, and I was hoping to be able to know what to do so that he would feel um, good playing that music. But it was a bit of a gamble. Uh, I wasn't quite sure how it would work. Uh, And also, we ended up recording a lot of music. We ended up recording maybe 19 or 20 songs uh 14 or of which are on the album they pretty short songs for the most part so we had a lot we had a, a big repertoire and we ended up making the album with um what was working best in terms of individual cuts but also as an as a as an album that's something that's really important to me um the sequence of the album i spent a lot of time uh dealing with that like trying things in different orders uh trying different songs there was a couple of songs that i really liked that didn't make the record just because i didn't think they fit so that was mostly like i guess post-production work in that sense and uh otherwise it was just picking the right people and going forward and hoping that it would work so
1: Will you talk about the decision to have shorter pieces on this album? Because it's really, it really kind of flies in the face of a lot of what's happening these days in the in the jazz
2: world. Yeah, I guess it does. Uh, I guess I tend to think uh, first. I like shorter albums, which this album is actually not short because it's got 14 songs on it, and I think it hovers around like maybe almost 70 minutes or something like that. Uh, a little less, perhaps. I'm not even sure, but that's longer than I like in in general. But Why is that? Why do you like short albums? I just think it's hard to make like a 70-minute album or or more that feels like something you can listen to in one stretch. And for me, my rule is I like to be able to listen to it in one stretch. doesn't mean that I'm going to listen to it in one stretch all the time, but I like being able to, and I like uh, putting something on and feel like it has a beginning and an end and a sense of completion, a sense of completeness, and nothing feels like it's too much. You know, like, everything flows, every song flows into the other. And you never feel like, well, you know, I wish they had left that one out. And it's very rare that I come across an album that's like that these days. Um, Doesn't mean that there are not a lot of great albums. There are, but, like, you know, something that just, like, grabs my attention from start to finish. And in the LP era records were more like 40 minutes long, maybe 45, but that's all you could fit on an LP. And then you also had the different dynamic of having two sides, which I think is an asset too in sequencing your stuff. So with the CD, you can fit so much more music and with digital download, you know, it's not even an issue. You could do whatever you you want, but I think having a time limitation is a good thing because it forces you to edit your stuff and to frame your work in a way that's gonna make sense. So that's for the total length of the album. As far as the individual length of pieces, uh, we weren't particularly going for short pieces from the get-go, but that's kind of what happened in the studio. And in general, I tend to think that when recording, I kind of err on the side of like making something shorter and have it be punchy and effective. And it, I think it's a different dynamic than live I think what works live like long solos and like having time to really develop something. I mean you can do that when you record, but I think it's I think it tends to translate maybe not as well. So I like to maybe focus on more on the compositions, try to say what we have to say as in the best way possible, but like not kind of go on rambling.
1: I mean this album isn't really a throwback album in any way, but that that methodology strikes me as a, you know, kind of a classic way to think of albums. You know, like, okay, guys, we got, you know, three minutes is what we can fit, you know, on this side, or we have five minutes or whatever, and here we go. We have to say everything we're going to say, and we don't have a long time to say it. Can can you talk about the demands that places on you uh, as an improviser?
2: Well, first, like, it's a little easier for us because we don't really have those those uh like we really didn't we didn't really set out saying okay let's make this three minutes let's make make four minutes so we don't have to it's just kind of like what turns out and then i think it's actually better but you know every time i record i kind of try to go try to approach it with as much of an open mind as possible and then whatever i end up with i spend a lot of time trying to order it and shuffle it in a sequence that makes sense and you know take things out and figure out what works best so like i spent a lot of time doing that and i think um but it's really more i work with what i have and i try to stay true in the studio to what feels the best and what feels right uh but i do think that like an album conception is important in the way that like i might not start with one but i'll usually end up with one Mm. in the sense that like i'll I'll be able to like order what we have in a way that makes sense. And hopefully, if the project makes sense to start with, then there is a way to like make it work. And I do think like something like sequencing can like really make or break an album for me. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of old school. I like to listen to things in order. I'll listen to an, an individual track, but like I like putting on LPS, I like putting on CDs. If I buy somebody's record, Uh, Which I do, you know, I I still buy records and usually I'll I'll buy them in CD form or LP form if I can. Uh, And I'll usually put them from start to finish, at least the first time. And then, you know, if I don't want to listen to them again, I don't. Or like maybe I like this song and not that song, but like I try to give it a shot as an album. So that's something that just makes sense to me.
1: Can you say a little more, just kind of take us into the sequencing process just a little bit? Talk about how that actually happened, what you start with and how you figure out what goes where.
2: Well, I guess I'll listen to everything. I take notes on everything. And then usually there's stuff that I know like, okay, I hate this. Like, this is never making the album. I hate the way I played or I hate the way somebody plays or I, this is just not the right feel. You know, there's all this stuff you listen to and you're like, oh, no. Right. And then there's, all you, there's stuff you listen to. You're like, oh, yeah, well, actually, this, this came out pretty good. You know, I like this. And then sometimes you have to revisit these choices, like the first time is not always right, but usually when it's clear cut, like this is really good or this is really not good, usually those are right. So I write everything down, and then I revisit everything, Uh, I write more things down, and then usually I take out everything that I know is not going to make the album, listen to it again, and I start thinking, okay, what's my first song, what's my last song? And I kind of do the same with uh, live shows, by the way, like I go each set, I'll figure out what the first song is, what the last song is going to be, and usually with records, usually there's something that I know like, okay, this would be a good start for me, and this would be a good end for me, usually. And then I kind of fill in the blanks from there. Like I'll figure out, okay, what feels like a good second song? We had this, so now do we want something? Do we want to go left? Do we want to go right? What feels right? And I kind of try to I try to do that. So usually I end up with like the first three or four songs pretty clear. I end up with the last song pretty clear. And then everything that's in the middle, that's harder and like, For me, I don't know any other way than trying stuff to the best of my abilities. And and this is kind of a tedious process, but for me, I actually listen to a bunch of different orders. Which means, like, I'll write order number one, and I'll sit through it and listen to the whole thing and see how it flows. And usually, I usually don't get it right the first time, so by song number five or six or seven, I'm like, eh, now this is kind of like not really doing it for me. And so I try to change it, and I think for this record I tried maybe seven or eight or or nine different sequences, which it is tedious and like after a while it's rough because I can't listen to this more than once. Like I listen to an order once, but then you know I have to give it a day before. I try before I listen to it again and by the time I'm like on order on sequence number seven you know I hate everything that everybody <laughs> played including myself but still I think it's worth it to try to make an album that is gonna be the best that it can be with what we have Why is the last song important? Because that's the last thing you hear. It's what If you're old school like me and you... and You know, I'm making albums thinking that the guy who buys it and wants to listen to it from start to finish should. Uh, and should have that option and should have something that makes sense. Not, I know not everybody does that. Maybe a majority of listeners don't do that these days. But for me, it's a, it's something that's important to me as a listener. So as a musician, I try to make albums that way. Uh, now as far as the last song, you know it, it's like the conclusion of everything that came before. like I think if that's good and it that if that gives the listener like a feeling of like, okay, now things are ended, I can move on to something else and it's made an impression and it kind of like, related to what came before but was something that maybe took it somewhere else. Like almost think of it as an essay or something. You know, like I think it should have like I think that whatever you leave the listener with should be powerful and definitive if you can. Like it should be something that gives you like a feeling of completeness. And it's it's sort of elusive, but you know it when you hear it. Um so, yeah, you know, I try to... It's it's kind of an instinctive thing, but I try to have, like, a feeling of, like, the CD is ended, and, okay, cool. Yeah, I've noticed that in live shows where... I've noticed
1: it kind of in both directions, where sometimes the last song... Like, I recently, the most recent example I can think of is seeing Gregoire Marais' band mm-hmm. at Jazz Standard, and the last song was so amazing... That, I mean, it was one of it was one of the best performances of a, just a single song I've seen this year. And so when I left, I felt like I was like dancing out of the club, like it was just you know you leave and you're totally just high on the music and it feels amazing and you wish it was going on forever. And I've also been to shows where there's a moment like that and then there's like three more songs. And you think, oh, I wish this had ended about 15 minutes ago. Uh, And and it seems like there's a real... You you can leave them wanting more, or you can kind of leave them wishing that you had left them.
2: (laughs) For sure, and it's harder to do live, because in a live situation, you don't control exactly what's going to happen. You don't know exactly how things are going to be. You can plan for the best song that seems to be the best song on paper, but then you still have to play it. Right. And if like (laughs) you don't play it right you could you could completely blow it like with a record you have the luxury of knowing what things are so it really you know you kind of have no excuse if like your record is too long or this song is not shouldn't make the record or the last song feels like an afterthought in a way you know you you know what you have so you should really make the most out of it i believe
1: talked about you primarily as a in this interview so far as a as a composer and and as a producer but as a saxophonist i'm wondering what the experience of playing with this band was like for you
2: that was really fun i mean it didn't feel like the music that i wrote didn't feel that much different from stuff that i might have written for the band that i have with ben maunder and joe martin and ted poor which is also like ben plays electric guitar he's got a wide array of sounds uh, you know it 's acoustic bass, so it 's different there 's more swinging stuff in that band but um you know i wouldn 't say that I necessarily wrote stuff myself that was super different but uh joseph 's music on the other hand was very different, and some of it is very specific, and some of it is specific in loose ways or loose in specific ways like he 'll have like little things that he does like the you know he 'll have like little ideas for tunes. Like, one of the songs was like, okay, the bass line has got to play a long note and then a short note. And alternate that with a long note and then two short notes. And Patrice could alternate that in any way that he wanted. But it was like, basically, okay, this is the key. And then just do long, short. Long, short, short. And mix it up. It didn't have to be one and then the other. But any mix of that. And that would create, like... And meanwhile, like, Rudy would play time... And I don't really think of writing things like that, and part of me in the beginning was like, "Well, okay, is this gonna be cool? Is this like a little kind of gimmick thing like I'm you know i'm I tend to really kind of try to shy away from like anything that I feel like might be preordained in a weird way or gimmicky or that kind of stuff. And so, at first, when he brought that, I was like, I don't know. And then we played it, and I was like, wow, this is great. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it was nice because it was different. He has a different process um, than what I'm used to. Uh, He's really good at it. He has a very clear idea of what he wants, and at the same time, he leaves a lot of space for improvisation and listening and he's really open to everybody's input so it was nice you know I love playing someone else's music uh, with the right people when it's something that I feel I can contribute and and be myself in, and at the same time be part of a collective that 's different than what i 'm usually uh doing I wonder even sonically
1: with the uh the change to having an electric bass and a keyboardist did that did that send you in new directions or did you hear different things around you that allowed you to move in different places inside the context of the ensemble
2: yeah, I did um it was just like a like I react strongly to sound so whenever whatever I hear like I try to I think consciously and unconsciously, I try to like um, adjust my sound and adjust myself so that it fits in the in the in the whole. At the same time, um, I also made a conscious decision of like okay, not using pedals. Deciding that I was just going to play with my sound. You know, I, I work very hard on on saxophone sound. That's one thing that I've always worked hard on, and um that's one thing that I think I have something individual with uh so that's really important to me and I didn't want to like start um messing with pedals and you know some people do that great but for myself I had no desire to do it you know I wanted my sound within that context so it was more like a more like subtle adjustments and like finding my place in the music sonically and otherwise but that's the same thing uh, that I do in any band. Yeah, and I always like that that kind of uh, tension or the
1: push and pull between, uh, you know, the synthetic electronic thing with the very, like, kind of human raw acoustic thing. I think it's a, it's a cool sound.
2: Yeah, I think it's a cool sound, too. And also, I don't see, like, Joseph's stuff... I mean, it's certainly, like processed but it's processed in a way that feels very human to me hmm. so I, do, I don't feel that as like on the one hand i'm like sort of like the acoustic slash human stride slash straight uh sound and he's like the super processed cold um synthetic sound like for example to me there's nothing really there's nothing cold about his playing like so i think uh from like a spiritual Standpoint, I think we're very compatible from like a human standpoint and from like a sonic standpoint. I think we use very different means to achieve very uh, similar goals in, in terms of having something that sounds really human.
1: Will you talk about some of the other projects that you have going on these days?
2: Sure. Um, I still play Trio with Ben Monder and Daniel Uh We did some work a few months ago uh Danielle lives is in Europe so we don't really work here but um I'd love to play some more with with them. Uh we did versions of that band here. Um we played uh recently at Sycamore with uh Zev Ravitz which was really nice. A few more like when when the record came out last year we did a um concert at Cornelius Street Cafe with Paul Motion which was really great and that led to Paul hiring ben and i to play at the vanguard which was an incredible experience will you now, say more about that sure i mean that was my first time playing the vanguard um playing with paul was just a really beautiful thing in every way i mean now he's gone so i'm even you know more um i feel privileged to have been able to do it but it felt like complete freedom uh and complete musicality every time like everything that he did was just so right for the moment every time that was really a lesson in itself i have never felt like that level of rightness and that um musical intensity sustained that i had at such a high level uh from anybody else really so that was a you know great experience it was a great learning experience like i feel i learned a lot uh it always it also felt really easy to play with him um it it, sometimes we played time and sometimes we didn't play time and it was almost like it didn't really matter like whatever he did he was going to hook up the music and make it sound great and in a way him sounding so great and being so in the moment in the best way possible that also freed me to be myself and you know, after I played with him for the first time, I was like, wow, okay, whatever he does, this is going to sound great in a way, because he's just so in tune with everything. Like, I felt he was going to make make me sound good no matter what I did. So, in, in turn, that also freed me from thinking, okay, I have to do this, or I have to do that, or maybe he wants this, or maybe he wants that. And it made it easier to get past those things, which... You know, I mean, all this stuff was a little bit in the back of my mind, especially before playing The Vanguard. I was like, all right, you know, I'm at The Vanguard with Paul Motion and playing Trio with Ben Monder, and he's played with, like, Bill Frizzell and Joe Lovano for, like, 20, 25 years, <laughs> and the exact same instrumentation. And I love no, that no band, <laughs> and I've seen them, like, you know, 20 times or something, including many times at The Vanguard, and it was always between, like... Every time they played, it was between like, wow, this is really good. That was like almost the worst case scenario. It was like, it was just a really good concert. And then there were, you know, many times where it was just like completely incredible, like some of the best stuff I've ever heard. So, um, yeah, there was a certain <laughs> level of pressure there. Um, but at the same time, once we got uh to actually play, oddly enough, that completely disappeared. And it wasn't, you know, I I... I, I put that on on Paul I think it's like thanks to him he just played in a way that just like made it clear that everything anything that mattered was the moment with and what was what we were doing and I don't think he really had a preconception of what he wanted he just wanted us to play together and listen to each other and be ourselves and I felt that as long as I was trying to stay true to that, as long as I was staying true to that, things would be okay. And in, in fact, I felt like I really owed him, uh, owed it to him to do that and not like, God forbid, you know, try to chase Joe Lovano or, or something like that, which, you know, I can't do that anyway. But uh, all I can do is try to be be myself and be the best version of myself that I can be.
1: You know, from an outsider's perspective, that sounds like a hell of a moment where you're on stage for that first time at the Vanguard, you know, with this, I mean, giant of the music, you know, just kind of taking it out of the musical sphere for a minute and thinking about it in terms of you, who at one point was a young person learning to play the saxophone and now is doing this. I mean, did it feel like as big a moment as it sounds like to me?
2: Um, Honestly... Yeah, I mean, I, I'll you know, uh, I'll be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've been to the Vanguard many times. Uh, I've heard a lot of Paul Motion records. I've seen Paul play at the Vanguard a ton of times. Some of the best music I've heard recorded or live was there. So playing the club was a big deal to me. Playing with Paul was a huge deal to me. Um, so yeah, and also you know, I'm a I'm a musician, but I'm also a fan of this music, like I became a musician because because I was a fan, so I'm still a fan, I still go to the Vanguard and other places and I'm in awe of like musicians that I hear and the music that they're creating so to have a chance to be on that same stage with Paul, yeah that was a big deal to me and that gave me a lot of like faith and courage to try to keep working in, in the direction that I'm working in and try to be myself and and I guess, yeah, be the best version of myself that I can be in this music. You know, over the
1: last uh, over the last couple of years, you've spent a fair amount of time playing with uh, Paul Motion and Daniel Omer, which really is, if you're going to be picking drummers out of a hat, <laughs> those are two pretty good ones to, to end up with.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel very lucky to, to have done that. Um, especially for, I mean, for this, the music, I guess it all started with the record that I did with Danielle, because I, I wrote a lot of like sort of open music for that. And then, you know, he played it fantastically. And then Paul played it fantastically. And they're both different, but they're both very unique and very individual. And also, I mean, as a saxophone player and as a jazz player, I feel like the drummer is the most important uh, band member for me Um, because that just shapes the sound of the whole band. So I love playing with great drummers. I love hearing great drummers, uh, and in different contexts, I've been lucky to play once in a while with some, you know, with some great drummers. Um, you know, Victor Lewis comes to mind, and and I've played with Bill Stewart, and played with Eddie Marshall, who also died last year, and who I played with in California was a fantastic drummer. So. I really seek out those opportunities, especially with older musicians, particularly drummers, but not exclusively but yeah, I think um I think the d- d- great drummers are really at the in the middle at the crux of like what makes this music uh so great
1: and I kind of interrupted you from talking about your other projects that you're involved in these days
2: yeah, say. so I still have my quartet with Ben Monder and Joe martin and Ted poor, and as a matter of fact. I'm going to try to record later in the year Uh, We're basically ready to record uh, In the sense that I have a repertoire written That we've been working on live for a while I have songs that I've been writing for this band That I've been writing over the last couple of years That I kept for this band That I want this band to record So we need to play a few shows live And then I think uh, we can go in the studio But that's one thing that I'm going to do um i've been playing a lot of trio also i, I did a record uh, a few years ago with ben street and rodney green called one two three and that was a really uh, that was a record uh composed entirely of standards that's still a big part of what i do uh, particularly live here in new york um so i play with different bass players and and drummers but rodney and i have been playing a lot together i'm playing with him on um I guess it's May thirty first. I don't know if it's before or after the show will air, but we're playing at the bar next door with David Wong on bass. Uh and I think uh I think I'm gonna do a, a trio tour in October in Europe. Uh so, you know, those are mostly the things that I do, but every record every record that I've done, I try to think of it as something that's gonna be ongoing. So now it's my fifth record on my name, I guess. And um, I've made two with the Quartet, one trio with the Standards Trio, one which was a more open record with Ben Monder and Daniel O'Meara, and then this last one was Joseph, Patrice, and Rudy. And to me, each of these bands is alive, and I try to, keep, I try to work with each of them. And then to, to me, these are all bands that I'm really profoundly connected with, and I try to keep, uh, I try to keep them alive to the best of my abilities
1: and i just want to uh i said this when you were on the show last time but i really want to encourage people to get that record with um with ben and daniel because it's just it's one of my favorite albums of the last few years it's really really an amazing oh, record, thank you so. thank you very much uh, and you also mentioned toward the beginning of the interview that the band on Plugged In, you're looking to have on tour in December,
2: is that right? Yes, uh, we're going to be working in Switzerland and France and maybe other places as well, but Sw- Switzerland and France are confirmed at this point. Uh, I'm still looking for work um, around Europe uh, in the beginning of December, but yeah, we're going to go and it's, that's am uh, really looking forward to that, revisiting that music. And uh, f- if you're listening to this
1: I encourage you to go to the show notes at thejazzsession.com for this episode, and you can find Jerome's website there and uh, keep in touch with all his upcoming performances. I've been talking with uh, Jerome Seba. The new album is called Plugged In. It's a great record, and uh, it's just another in a string, I think, of really exciting things that you've been doing, and I thank you for coming back to talk about it.
2: Thanks a lot, Jason, and uh, thanks for doing the show.
1: That was music from Jerome Sabaugh and his CD Plugged In. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Please do become a member of the show or make a one-time donation to the tour at thejazzsession.com. Join or the jazz session.com slash tour. Don't forget to go to jasoncrane.org for my daily tour diaries. This might be a nice time to get caught up while the tour is uh, slowing down for the month of end of July and the beginning of August. And then get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session.